You're like 43? Uh, 77. 77, all right. Yeah. You look good for 77. <laughs> well, you know. Little oh, that gym. Two, two fingers of whiskey every day, and I go to the gym <laughs> once a month, whether I think I need the exercise or not. So that's <laughs> what I tell people. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. And we're joined today by Joe Golke. No relation, at least to me. Hi, Joe. Hey, Brian. Hey, Ben. I'm uh, Ben's dad. And our biggest fan, I hear. Uh, I have listened to all the episodes. And uh, I, I've, I have extensive notes on all the stories you've told of mine that were done incorrectly. Oh, so is the, where we're going to make the corrections? Yeah, this is going to be a whole show of corrections. Right. Well, it's going to be a whole show of well actuallys. <laughs> oh, terrific. Finally, finally, the pedantic festival we've all been waiting for. That's right. Uh, Joe has had an extensive career in software, although not exactly in software development. Is that right, Joe? That, that's right. I actually um, have a, a comp sci degree from, from school. Um, and I was a COBOL programmer way back in the day. That's wow. A, that really takes that really takes a lot of folks back. Um, and uh, did C and did some other stuff. And probably about ten years into my career, I'd been doing a lot of, of uh, programming where we were interacting with the database. I wrote all the um, routines to you know push and pull data out of the database and um, started a new job literally on my first day um, with people I'd worked with before. You know I was happy to be there. They were happy to have me. Um, and a manager that I had you know, a lot of respect for and worked for before came over and, said, and pulled me into his office like literally like 10 o'clock on Monday morning, the first morning I was there, and said, our DBA just resigned, and I need you to fill her shoes until we can, until we can replace her. And I said, you know, sure, absolutely, what do I need to do? And, and, you know, I just dove right into Oracle and just started doing what I could do. And, and probably three months into it, I went and talked to him. Like, I noticed we never hired another DBA. And he's like, no, I think it's going to be you. Oh, wow. I, and I said, awesome. So um, I, I've been a, um, an Oracle DBA and a Postgres DBA for probably the, about the last 15 years now, which puts me at like in the 25-year range of 25-plus years of having a career. So that wow. tells you about how old I am. <laughs> and DBA is? Uh, database administrator. So, okay. Um, and, there, and there are kind of a couple flavors of, of DBAs, lots, lots of um, sort of what I call production DBAs. Our DBAs that just manage a, a you know a server room full of databases and keep them up twenty four seven and and you know manage the business uh, manage the databases for the business. Now I actually work in a development environment, so I have develop developers coming to me every day and saying you know I want to store this data in the database and I want to do this with it and I want to get it back out in this way and and uh, so we come up with a data model that supports that or integrate the, their data into the data model that we currently have and they write the you know the fetches and the and the um, the reads and the writes for it and then. Um, I lock it all down so that you know the, the the programmers can't can't mangle the data in any way in the database, and then uh, we move forward from there. So um, I currently support there's about uh, 80 people on the development team for where I work now, and um, there are three DBAs. I'm the senior DBA. The other two people are, are pretty junior. Um, so I've been doing it by myself for about probably close to 15 years on this one project. So it's it's a fun job. I like it, and I also that's why I'm on call for production systems and stuff, but we have people that, that kind of run interference for that, so they really only call me if they're having major catastrophes. Fifteen years on the same project, that must be enormous. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it it's funny, you know, I just have gotten to the point now where um, they hire new people and they're walking around and it's like, geez, I don't even know these people's names, and then 
And then you have somebody show up into your cube and they're calling you sir. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. But, but it, you know, it's, it's nice knowing, knowing your way around and knowing what needs to be done and, and uh, knowing how to fix stuff. I, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to the point on the program now where somebody shows up in the cube and they're like, hey, I hate, hate to interrupt you, but I have this problem. And I just get up from my desk and following you. And we just go wherever, they're, wherever they need to go. And I sit down in front of the computer and just fix whatever they need fixed. So, um, you know, there's, there's some comfort in being able to do that kind of stuff, which is nice. And last year, um, we had a big uh, conversion. We've been an Oracle shop for, for many, many years. And last year, we actually converted to Postgres. So that's been, that's been really, uh, you know, put me on a whole different lane and a whole different path. And, you know, like, like a lot of new folks, I just spent just weeks and weeks on, on, in Google, on, you know, on Stack Overflow and, Mm-hmm. You know, just just like I was like a regular new guy. I'm sh- I'm sure that's comforting for juniors to hear that even somebody with 25 years worth of experience is is frantically googling for answers because <laughs> it doesn't really matter how much experience you have if it's a brand new topic and a brand new skill necessarily you are in the same place again right you're kind of constantly a junior in some ways where you're you're always learning new things and always kind of resetting your your progress. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the program came to me and said, you know, we, we, uh, we're going to be deploying to a significant number of sites and, and, uh, and Oracle's just charging us just, you know, exorbitant rates for stuff. And we really would like to get off the, the Oracle gravy train and get on, you know, get on Postgres where it's free, basically. Um, we'd, and we'd like you to be the DBA for that. And um, we want you to convert the database to Postgres. And so I said, sure. But um it, you know, you know, how like a lot of things, you know how to do conceptually. I understand a lot of stuff and I know how to do things, but I don't know any of the syntax. So, you know, you, you're just Googling everything and nothing works exactly like you want it to. But it, it's just is Oracle it. another flavor of SQL or is it, it completely its own thing? Oracle, they, there's actually SQL standards, like there are yeah. programming standards, and Oracle adheres to um, a SQL standard, as does Postgres, but they both have added their own extensions. So a, a lot of the stuff that you do, particularly if you're interested in getting the most efficient use out of the database, or you're, you're looking at some high-performance use in the database, you're using the extensions that the company provides, because that's, that, that's kind of where all the horsepower is. So we okay. had lots of stuff that you know, it, it, we managed to convert it. We didn't. We managed to convert everything that we wanted to do, but um, it was pretty challenging. The first three months, where I was really coming home wrung out and just, you know, you just feeling like a new person just every day. Every day was just, just new guy one hundred and one. <laughs> so, with all that kind of uh, niche technical knowledge that you have, where even not only are you perhaps kind of a mystery to the non-technical people that you work with. But in many ways, I bet you're probably also even somewhat of a mystery to the other programmers that you work with because they're not DBAs where they don't have that intimate knowledge of how databases function. And, you know, they come to you and say, I want data X to go in and data Y to come out. But they don't really understand, you know, necessarily how that's going to work. Um, how have you like, do you have any kind of best practices for how you deal with the those different kinds of people? I imagine you probably need to maybe take a different approach with each group, whether it's somebody who's fully non-technical, right, where they're maybe a manager or somebody who's a stakeholder outside of the group um, compared to someone who might be another programmer who you can probably speak a little bit more the same language, but you're still translating in many ways. Um, that's kind of our topic for today is how do we deal with this, this scenario where uh, you need to speak to various groups in your job 
this is another skill that juniors maybe don't realize they need, but they get that training and they get out and they get their first job and they think, great, everything's wonderful. I'm going to be able to speak this new technical you know, language to people and they'll perfectly understand me and it'll all be wonderful. But the reality is that you go from being maybe the least knowledgeable about something when you're right first starting to suddenly you're put in a place where you might even be the most knowledgeable about that thing. Even as a junior, you, you might feel like you have a lot to learn and you do, but you might actually end up in a scenario where you are the one that is the expert and you have to sort of translate that knowledge into the organization in a way where, um, you know, other people can understand you and get out of it what they need. Yeah, it can be certainly very challenging to talk to, to talk to, uh, you know, it's a wide gamut of folks, right? I'm talking to people that they they don't they never interface with the database before from a programmatic point of view at all, or, or they have a lot of experience in one specific area or with a different database or whatever, or or they you know you, you run into those people that they're they're obviously very smart, and very capable in their own field, but they they don't know much about the database. And some people are willing to learn, and some people just see it as an impediment to getting their job done. And you know it's you get you got to kind of adjust. You know, adjust fire basically to to interface with the different folks. You know, to, you know, I talk to systems people. I talk to people that are on our, the fielding team that have you know just basic Unix knowledge. So it's it's a wide variety of folks. It can be it can, it's a struggle. I I mean, obviously, since I'm a computer programmer, you know, I picked that that uh, I, I picked that career path, thinking that oh, this will be great. I'll spend all my day in front of a machine. I'll be teaching a machine how to do my work. It, you know, the, the the very first time I got a machine to do my work, I thought it was just the best thing ever. And it, thirty years later, it still tickles me. And 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 you also think I won't have to talk to people that much. This this is <laughs> right. Be, this is a this is a this it's is a win win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's win win. Um, and it turns out I, I talk to people way more than than I ever expected to, and a wide variety of folks, both in person and on the phone. And, and you're making presentations and and. Um, you know, I'm a detailed person, so I'd like to give lots of detail. And sometimes that's exactly what they need, and sometimes it's not. How do you decide uh, how much detail to give? Well, that's something that I that I have practiced through my career. And, and I have to say, it, it's a continual... I'm continually getting better at it. I'm certainly better at it than I was 20 or 30 years ago. But I'm literally probably better at it than I was just a year ago. Um, it's something that, that I'm... You know, you have to practice that and you have to sort of do things that 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 I'm not naturally that good at. Read the read the crowd, read, you know, look at people's eyes when you're talking to them, look at their faces. Are they are they paying attention? You know, lots of stuff that I'm trying to explain is can be kind of technically complex and it it takes a lot of brain power to get to the point where you can feel like you can, you know, you, it can come out of your mouth in some coherent fashion. And you, I don't always spend enough time sort of examining the room you know, you, the, the dreaded, you know, you look up and you realize, oh, I'm talking to six people and they're all playing on their phones or, you know, have glazed over eyes or whatever. So that's, that's, that's not what you want, right? You've lost your audience at that point, but it's, it's challenging. It, it's challenging to dial in, dial up or dial down the amount of detail information that you're giving to folks so that you're, you're meeting their needs of gathering information. And, and you also feel as a programmer, you, you have to feel like you're, you're being accurate. And, and, and that, right. that, that's tough, right? Sometimes just, just sometimes just summarizing feels inaccurate and you have to sort of get used to feeling a little bit, well, I wasn't quite accurate in that. I didn't lie, but I summarized so much that the some of the accuracy was lost, but for the, for the, for the audience, it was fine. 
Right. I've heard the saying that education is a succession of lies. <laughs> yeah. The first thing you tell somebody is just way off base, but it gets some basic kernel of truth across. And then you kind of refine that with, as you said at the beginning, a series of well actuallys. And it's important to know where in that chain of well actuallys can you just stop. Yeah, well, you know, I mean that that's that's a, an excellent point, Brian. We've we you know I know you guys have been have been teachers at at, at you know your previous career, the Iron Yard, and I've been a teacher as well um, in parts of my career. And and it is it you start off the first day and you're saying stuff and you you like and then two weeks later you say, well, remember on the first day when I told you this? Well, now now yeah. Well, I think part of the the issue there too is that as a programmer, you're so used to trying to be intensely accurate so that you can give the computer yes. directions that are very, very specific, right? Because we're used to the idea that uh, I always used to tell my students and I tell them now, right? That like it, the computer doesn't do what you want. It does what you tell it, right? So, and sometimes you, you want X and you tell it Y, well, you're never going to get X because you didn't tell it that, right? Um, and and especially for, for new programmers, it can be hard to you're like, but that's what I want. It's like, well, I know, but that's not what you told it to do, right? Like, you you have to, you have that, those have to be the same thing for you to get the output that you expect. And I think we get so used to this pattern of being incredibly specific and incredibly detailed with exactly what we want the computer to do, so that it will do it. Then, when it comes time to kind of doing that same thing with other humans, with other, yes. with other people in your organization, you just apply the same the same solution, right? You're like, well, in order for everyone to be perfectly informed and to make the best decisions, I'm just going to be as detailed and as careful as I am when I'm programming. But oftentimes human stakeholders don't want necessarily all, they're like, I don't need all that. Give me, give me the executive summary, right? Give me the high level. I don't need the nitty gritty to make the decision. And I think it's, it's, it's difficult. I think for us to context switch sometimes from, talking to the computer to talking to another human. Yeah. Well, especially, you know, you're typing and somebody comes in and says, hey, I have a question. And you literally look up from your computer. I mean, you're, you're context switching in half a second. And then, I mean, you know, sometimes it feels like it'd be easier just to like pull your, be one of the, the binars from Star Trek and just like, you know, just, just, <laughs> just shoot, shoot them a data stream of information zero, yeah. and they have all they need and they can go away and, and you, know, <laughs> you feel like you've, you've done everything you need to do. But but people just don't people that's just not how people want to want to communicate so if you were talking about specifically people who are fully non-tactical right maybe management or outside stakeholders who are involved in your project and involved with the company but are not you know they they don't don't have the same skill set that you do um how do you how have you dealt with that kind of in the past and uh, in maybe scenarios where the the kind of the impetus for bringing this this uh, topic up on the podcast was that you were sharing a story about you had somebody who was presenting some information to a customer in a group meeting and the information was inaccurate. And they then asked you, can we do this? And, and you're kind of stuck in this place where you don't necessarily want to uh, call them out, but you also want to make sure that, that, that you're in, in scenarios like that, where you want to make sure that you are presenting yourself and the company and the product in a way where it is not, you're not lying about its capabilities or whatever. Um, but that also, you know, you're being professional and you're not just calling people out um, in front of other people. Um, so how have you dealt with that in the past where you have, you know, I'm sure, especially someone who has this very niche, very technical knowledge that you are in many ways kind of an island of one at your job. Um, how do you translate the 
the features of the database and the things it can and can't do to people who don't even necessarily know what a database is. Yeah, it can certainly be very challenging. That's for sure. And it, you know, the, the, as as you sort of set up in the story, the the perfect storm of of that really is you're you you know you're in a meeting where some technical information is being presented and 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 you're in it. Let's just make it the worst possible scenario. You're in a sales meeting where you're you know your company is trying to sell something, so you know they're going to be talking about future capability, which is a which is the sales way of saying stuff we haven't yet coded, right? Right. So um, and and, you know, you're there. The salesman's there. He wants to make a sale. The company needs the wants to make the sale. And let's say your boss is there and the customer is, of course, there. The potential customer is, of course, there. So that's like the worst to me. That's the perfect storm of just awfulness of (laughs) we're going to make up a bunch of technical stuff that isn't true about our future capability, and then we're going to have you explain it. (laughs) Good luck to you. (laughs) Right. So that, so that's, that's, and, and, you know, you need to do it in a way where, where it comes across as being reasonably accurate, reasonably doable. I mean, you know, I've heard in one of the previous podcasts, um, Brian talked about being a, a contractor and kind of picking jobs off the internet and then trying to get them. But I, I'm sure when you, when you talk about future capability, right, even for yourself, you're stretching the truth here and there and you, and you're, you're, you're constantly the, the little voices in your head are like, okay, I can do that. Oh, don't, don't go too far there. Right. That's you, you, you're going to bear yeah, this, it, dude. It's, it. It's to me, when you're talking about future capability, the, the big danger is more that it's such a, a gray area because especially when non-technical people are talking about it, they're so imprecise the, the the answer to every statement around can we do this will we, will we be able to do this is always well it depends what exactly do you mean by this yeah. capability that you're talking about I mean literally every technical answer I've given in my whole career is it starts with it depends yeah right yeah then when the, you're in the, that sales call it's never they never want to hear that it's always yes sir absolutely we can do that right. Right, exactly. The, the devil is so much in the details mm-hmm. with this stuff, right? That's the thing. It, it, it you know, you, I mean, I'm, I'm called upon, I was called upon yet literally yesterday to give um, a, an estimate in how much time would it take to do this. And, and the problem is the, 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 to give an estimate, the, the question has to be, the problem statement has to be scoped well enough for you to give, I mean, even just factors of 10, right? I mean, yeah. is it, yeah. is it, is it 200 hours or is it 2000 hours? I mean, you got, you got to scope the problem enough so I can give you a, a, at least a, a one magnitude close. Right. But, For a lot of these things, I, I feel like it's as though the, the person talking in the call says, we think we're going to be able to afford something. Is that right, Joe? And you say, well, I don't know. And then they say, well, it's a car. And you, you'd still say, well, I, is it, are yeah. you talking about a Honda or are you talking about like a, a Maybach or, you know, what? Yeah, you buying a McLaren? What's, what's going right. on? And, and they're just blind to those kind of distinctions in the, at the more technical level. And they really honestly feel like they're giving you enough information, right? Like this is perfectly clear in their minds to the extent that they think clarity is necessary. Yeah. You can kind of see dark corners that they're just not aware of at all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. One, I know, I know Ben's um, taken this and used this in his class. Um, but one of the things that I used to do when I, I, w- I taught uh, programming at a local uh, junior junior college for about six years, and one of the things that after we had a couple of assignments under our belt, and the, the students were 
were accustomed to sort of getting started, I would say, okay, here we're gonna we're gonna play one out that's gonna be more real world for you guys. So so here's the assignment. I want you to write a program to calculate um, lottery tickets. And, and they're kind of it. waiting that for yeah. <laughs> that was it. And then okay, okay, everybody get to work. And they, and you just get these blank stares, and it's like, and then the, the, you know you let the silence sort of bake a little bit in the class, and then you're like, maybe you guys have some questions. <laughs> but you know it's hard. It's hard to sort of get into that into that mindset of how much information do you need, how how detailed do you need to be, you know, what kind of questions do I need to ask, and and you know how can I frame them in a way that that isn't they're not they're not accusatory, but they're but they're information seeking only, and and the, the dialing that it turns out I think one of the great failings of certainly one of the great failings of my um, my college um, education for getting a comp sci degree was really no effective communication skills. I mean, I think I took speech like everybody else, but, but you know, that was really it. And I just was terrible at it when I first started just teaching school was very helpful as far as making presentations and stuff. Um, I mean, I know both you guys have been through that and, and it makes me more comfortable speaking to a group and speaking in front of crowds and stuff. But I, I still, I still, when we we have the situation where you know you have this perfect storm you're in a meeting there's a bunch of people you don't really know they're up senior people they're making technical statements that are from ranging from mildly inaccurate to wildly inaccurate <laughs> and you you just don't you just start to squirm i just don't know it's very very challenging to know when to jump in and when to be helpful and what's helpful and what's just being sort of pedantic and nobody really cares and i think particularly for juniors it's like you were saying with the lottery ticket idea um, you don't know if you are allowed to, are you allowed to ask questions of your teacher? Are you allowed to ask questions of your boss? You know, whether it's, whether you're in a school environment or whether you're in a production environment, you know, in your job, what is appropriate? Like, what are the appropriate things to do? Can, you know, if someone gives you an assignment, whether that is a, a school assignment or, Hey, I need you to build this app for us that we're going to sell whatever, like, what is the when is the appropriate time to ask questions and and how many questions can I ask and how detailed can they be and I think juniors in particular can be really um, worried about speaking up at all and I think that like the the example that you gave and I totally shamelessly stole when I you told me that story I shamelessly stole that idea and I used it in my class as well because I think it's a great example of something that pe- you know a lot of people understand just very generically what a lottery ticket is. And, sure. and how it works very generally. But if you were to build an application that allows you to make them and, and manage them and maybe, you know, like I, I ended up building, had the students build an iOS app that would generate them. And then I had them create an interface where they could enter in the winning numbers. Um, and then like, you know, when the, when the drawing happens and then it could automatically compare the winning ticket against all the tickets that they had generated to see if any of them were winners and then to assign a, a monetary value. Like it, it can suddenly it can go from, like you said, a single sentence, build be an application that, that, cre- that generates lottery tickets to suddenly it's this full blown, full featured app. And it all came out of that original sentence. It's just that. It, it ne- <clears throat> you need to probe for more information. Like there's no way they would have gotten all that way had they not asked me questions. And the same thing, I would say it, I would be very sparse and they would all stare at me. And I said, uh, you know, in this is going to happen to you in, in the real world. You're going to get prompts for things that are going to be very, very vague. And you, it's your responsibility as the developer to 
professionally go to the stakeholders and essentially pull more information out of them because they don't even necessarily know what they what they need to tell you, right? They think, like we were saying a minute ago, they think that the one sentence prompt is plenty, right? Like that's plenty of information because to them, they know what they want in their head and they think they've conveyed that, right? And you're like, but to me, it was a single sentence. It doesn't, I can't see inside your head. I don't know what you want. Um, and so I think dealing with non-technical people in particular like we were saying with the car idea, you know, they think, Hey, can we buy this car to them? They, they, they think they've conveyed the right information because the thing is they can see their own books and they can tell their own budget and whether or not they can generally afford something. And it's like, and they know what car they have in mind and they're maybe not be aware of the range of cars that are out there. Exactly. So they think like maybe Hondas and Toyotas are the only cars that are even it. Right. And it's like, well, no, there's this huge spectrum of, of things you could buy and I think the same thing is true when they're asking you like a, a, some kind of future feature. Hey, can we do this in, in Postgres? And to them, that one sentence sounds like, no, yeah, that's plenty. And, and plus, then they're looking at you, right? And they're saying, well, this guy has 25 years of experience at database development work. Clearly, he must know what I mean. He must know what I mean, right? And, and you're like, I'm just as clueless as, <laughs> as I was a minute ago, right? <laughs> sure. You didn't give me nearly enough information. Well, you do have to be like a domain expert too. So, you know, we, if you whatever you're talking about, you work at a bank, you have to understand financial instruments and how a lot of that stuff works and, you know, well enough at least to program it. Because it isn't just the, the database structure, the scaffolding, it's also all the data, right? I mean, right. You, where right. you work, you have to kind of also be somewhat of an expert on what it is that you're actually storing as well. So when they say, hey, can, you know, can you do X, Y, and Z in the software that we're building, you, you have to know that, that, not only can I kind of pull that up with a query in the database, but also that that model works, right? That those data objects kind of can work together and that, sure. and that, um, that's a, that's a viable outcome. Uh, and, and that's something else that I think juniors maybe need to remember is, is the case, right? When you get into a job, not only do you have to be able to program, but you also have to learn the space that you're in, right? I mean, I've worked in I've worked in pharmacy, I've worked in home security, I've worked in publishing, I've worked in education, I've worked in all these different where I've taken my programming skills and I've applied them to a particular data type, right? Like a, a, an industry. But you end up learning a whole bunch about that industry. Like I learned a whole bunch about like how drugs, you know, in the pharmacy industry, how they are are stored and and when you make insurance claims how they're approved and just all this stuff that i never would have learned <laughs> had i not been working in that company um so it's 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 a lot of stuff you have to kind of synthesize and put together uh to be able to even remotely answer a question like that right can we do this in the database yeah the the when you asked before about you know talking to technical people and non-technical people um the um in some ways, you know, the non-technical people are easier to talk to when it comes to some of the details. You know, if somebody, you know, when you have like one of the things that people, most people have, and I actually used it in the, in the in the lecture that I gave at the Iron Yard was phone numbers. Everybody has domain knowledge about what a phone number is, especially if you live in the United States. It's a it's a ten-digit number, three numbers, three more numbers, and then four numbers. It's kind of a fixed format, um, and you can even do some um, validation against the numbers. There some in some positions of the phone number certain numbers are valid certain numbers are not valid um etc cetera, etc cetera. and so if somebody says hey i want to store a phone number if a non-technical person you're like okay 
we got it, right? Um, but it's funny when you talk to technical people about storing a phone number, what I found when it, when people come and start talking, I actually will often turn around, sit at my computer, and we'll talk, and I'll take notes um, while we're talking. And then when we're done, I'll send those um, in an email to the person that was just here. So we have a record of what we sort of what we said and what we agreed to. And, and you know, the, the, the kind of things that I'm, as, a, as the database guy, right, my job is to take data that they give me, um, secure it, protect it, um, be able to give it back to them, so persist it and give it back to them. And I also want to give it back to them unmangled. And, and I'd like to be able to ensure that I can give it back to them in a format that they're going to accept and understand. So that kind of means they're giving it to me in a certain format that we've all agreed on. So I would say, okay, here's the deal. You're going to give me... You're going to give me three numbers, a dash, three numbers, a dash, and four numbers. That's the only format we're going to accept for phone numbers. Okay, yes, I agree. I mean, it, and then I'll send them an email. It won't be three days. They'll be in my cube going, hey, I'm getting phone number valid, you know, validation failures in the database. It's like, yeah, because I put a bunch of rules in the database about how it, about how it has to look because that's what we agreed to. And they're like, well, yeah, but I have a customer who wants to put them in with you know, parentheses around the area code. And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, and then we work it out, try to come up with a solution. But, but obviously what you don't want to do is you don't want to have data in the database that is inconsistently formatted. So you, you can run it through some upfront process and mangle it, but you, you, know, you, you, you want to store it in the database and then you can present it. You can read and write it differently, but you want to store it in a certain way. And those, kind of, those kinds of discussions from a technical point of view can be pretty challenging because often, especially as a young DBA, I was often talking to people that were many, many years my senior. And you know, it's, it's one thing to sort of tell the junior people no, but it's something else to tell some guy that's been on the program 20 years, no, you can't store your data like that. Because it'll make a mess, right? I mean, that's the problem. It's, it's not just because I'm, I'm being pedantic or, or because we agree to something I'm being inflexible. It's because there, there's some amount of inflexibleness with regard to data storage that needs to be built into the, to the process. Um, but it, it can be, those kind of conversations can be very intimidating, especially as a, as a young person. But I think the key is, you know, stand your ground, um, kind of come up with some, hey, if we don't do it this way, this is what's going to happen, right? You're going to come to me in six months and you're going to say, dude, you got phone numbers in 15 different formats in the database. I can't find anything. So, you know, we, we try to try to um, it's always helpful, I think, when you're having a conversation, if you can think about it in terms of what the other person has in it is, a, is it like the Ben said, the stakeholders. Right. What stakes do they have that they're holding in it? What how can I put this in a way that means something to you that means that it's beneficial if we do it this way or it's detrimental if, if we don't do it this way? Um, instead of just like, well, the database doesn't allow it, right? You, you need, you need, I need a better rule than that. I need a better reason than that. Right. The technical people, probably more than others, are um, simultaneously less convinced by we can't do it that way, but also have a higher tolerance for here are the excruciatingly minute reasons why we can't do it that way. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. I think that's an excellent point is that, you know, when you're talking to technical people, it's very, they're very much show me, right? Just because, I mean, we've all debugged stuff. We've all helped, we've all debugged our own stuff. We've all helped other people debug stuff. And what's the first thing you do is you sit down and somebody show me and you want to start at the beginning. Show me the print statement, show me this. It's, and they've already done all that, right? They've already done all of it. it. It's just how you do things. I want to start at the very beginning and I want to go through it. And, 
And I think, I think you can reason with people that think like that. To me, it's 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 a little easier if you if you sort of if you know if you know where to go. But you have to have the like if you're going to make a statement like this is not possible, you have to have the evidence to back it up. Yeah. because they're not just going to accept it. Yeah, the simple statement's not enough. It's not enough justification. But then they're but then they're much more likely to accept the the reasons once you explain them to them. Then I, I found with non technical people, even when you explain them to them, because they don't understand what you're no, saying. No idea, right? So they're like, "Well, this is just gibberish. You're just stalling, like, do that this, right?" And that's that's so for them. It's I almost feel like it's yeah. Oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, I almost feel like it's better to just say, you know, this is not possible. We you can't do it, and then. They tend to be more accepting of that than like you, like I was just saying. You know, you well, here's all the reasons why. Well, but why can't you just work around those? Because we we literally can't. That's why. It is funny. It is funny how how a flat no works so well with some groups and so poorly with others. Getting back to the idea of uh, the sort of high pressure situation where you're in a group of people with many different levels of technical capacity, and you hear something and you want to interject. Um, is that a kind of situation where you've learned how to handle it better by trying different things in the moment? Or do you maybe talk to different members of those groups beforehand or afterwards to find out what exactly should I do if this situation comes up? Yeah, those are, those are tough. Um, I, I tend to be overly blunt. Um, it's, it's the Golki way. I'm familiar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you, um, and and the and my mouth wants to say that's stupid, but but fortunately I've learned to rein that in. So then that, that's good. Yeah, so that's not the first thing that comes out. Um, and it, it can be it can be pretty challenging to 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 walk around that and try to figure out what what makes sense. I mean, I've had I, I've had a varied career, and and a couple of things that have made big impressions on me. Um, I was a young when I was a young. Um, you know, programmer, two small, two small children and, and, you know, wasn't making a lot of money and just kind of just did, you know, I was very, I was very malleable from a, from a, a, a employer point of view, right? They were able to get me to do whatever it is they wanted me to do. And I was probably more flexible with my own morality than I really felt comfortable with at times. And I and actually, um, through no fault of my own, uh, worked with a woman who was who was very sweet and very sincere and very hardworking. I won't, she was one of our customers, um, and she had purchased a product from us that was mostly um, arm waving. It was mostly smoke and mirrors when she bought it, and it never really came to be um, what they needed, what the salesman had sold her, and um, and she eventually lost her job because of it. And and the and the on the last day of her employment, she called me. We had had many many conversations. I was her primary support person, um, and she called me. And she was crying on the phone. She was packing her desk. She had gotten she had gotten fired. And it was it was kind of a defining moment for me about you know you've you, you, you didn't I didn't have any direct responsibility for it, but I was involved enough to know that 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 she had been treated badly, and that I didn't want to be. It, it became more important to me in that moment. It sort of crystallized in my mind in that moment that it was it was more important to be a little maybe more honest and more blunt than I had been, and even at the cost of of my own a risk to my own job, I I just decided that you know life is too short to be to to just sort of do whatever your employer wants you, wants you to do, 
And so um, I, I sort of was more willing to speak up after that. You know, when I find myself in those situations, um, I would just say, you know, I think we need to put a finer point on this, or I think we need to uh, maybe delve into a little bit of detail here about how this works, just so you'll understand what our current capability is and what our future capability is. Um, so you can you can sort of couch it in ways that are professional, um, don't have a lot of mind-numbing detail, but still provide enough accuracy to make your own self feel comfortable, to make your own internal com- moral compass, you know, still pointing in the right direction. Um, those those things are those things are tough to do, but I but I think you can if if you just sort of follow your own instinct, I think that turns out to be the best. Maybe a little light signaling there of like. You know, if you, as, a, as the technical representative representing, these are what we, this is what we currently are capable of doing, and this is what we plan on doing in the future. The customer, the person, the, the stakeholder who, you know, is, a, I guess, sort of a potential stakeholder here, um, can even kind of juxtapose that with what perhaps the salesperson told them before the meeting started. And it gives them an ability to go, okay, well, one person is telling me X. And the other person is telling me X with an asterisk, right? Like, like, yeah, kind of, but, but we're, you know, here's what we can currently do. And here's what, what's, and so you're not, you're not lying. You're not misrepresenting anything. You're not even really necessarily calling anyone out. You're just sort of starkly in a technical way, explaining briefly what is possible and what maybe will be possible in the future. And I think that goes a long way towards the people who are paying attention will pick up on those things and go, okay. That's not exactly what I was told by the salesperson because the salespeople always are very, I'm going to say, very optimistic. Optimistic is the word to use there, yes. Well, and it's, I think it's useful when you're talking to somebody and they're, and they're saying, we can do this and we can do that and we, our software does this and our software does that. And, and, you're, and you have a conversation and you come away with an impression of the capabilities of, of the product. And then it's helpful to maybe get a little bit of, of a setting of, this is current capability, this is future capability, just so you can sort of delineate in your mind when, this, when, when you got all these other conversations going, what we, what we currently do and what we're going to do, right? It's, it's useful to, to just, to me, it's about expectation setting, really. If you can set expectations realistically, then, then even if it takes a little longer than you want, um, people are, I think people are generally agreeable um, it's, it's when you start to try to, if you try to, if you try to try to blow smoke at people, they, they figure it out. They, you, I've, I've never been in a situation like that where I've witnessed somebody just sort of blatantly lying to, to a customer or to a vendor or whatever. And they, and they didn't get called on it at some point, you know, it's, just, it's not, it's not an effective long-term strategy. And those people typically don't stick around at the company either. I wonder if it would be useful to, um, combine what you were talking about, the, the notes that you would habitually send after conversation with technical people to do that after non-technical meetings also as a, an opportunity to uh, to add in whatever addendums and kind of terms and conditions on what had been discussed to say uh, we'd had this meeting and here are what we think we can promise for future capabilities provided that the following things happen and then you can kind of lay out uh, a more thorough case than might be possible in the moment. And you have a written record of, of that, that too. Just yeah, it's it is nice having the written record. That's for sure. What, what I found in my own experience is it, I typically am not involved in those communication um, in that communication. So that that's a little hard to do. But what I have what I have found because typically the salesman doesn't really want you in there, right? He he's trying to finish it, or or your boss 
doesn't want you talking to whoever. But what I have found is a very effective is, and I've used this strategy several t- many times, is I'll ask, the, I'll ask the person we're talking to, hey, do you have technical people on your team that I could interface with? And you get and you get the technical contacts, and you're like, well, let's have we'll have salesman to manager contact, and we'll also have tech to tech contact, and then you because then you can do that kind of Star Trek data stream directly with them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you could be a little more you can be a little more um, bl- blunt. You can be a little more direct. You can be a little more accurate. Um, you can help them, and you can help them really in many ways, sort of figure out what it is they need to do and. And, um, and and prepare for it and, and set their own because because they're scrambling too. I mean, oftentimes this is a big deal for them um, if they're if they're interfacing with new software or they're getting whatever. It's it's a big problem for them and they they need some time to sort of get up to speed. So that 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 um, alternate communication path of sort of tech person to tech person, I find I find very. And then they'll be able to talk to their non-technical people because they have greater domain knowledge or just familiarity with those specific people in a way that might be harder for you as a technical person who's unfamiliar with both of those things. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, they can, they can kind of, um, you know, convert it into their own, into their own language or, or, um, or, or, and, and they can, it makes sense of them. Some, sometimes when you, you know, you hear stuff like, oh, that's going to be terrible for them. And they'll be like, oh, it's not so bad because we do this that you didn't know about. And, and it's not as big of a problem as it seems. Because there's a, there's a bunch of stuff you don't know about how we do things internally or whatever. So so those those things are real happy, can be real happy. I I've, I find um, I, I still interface with people. We we where I work now, um, I, I'm not involved at all in the in the sales um, aspect of the of the product anymore. But I interface a, a tremendous amount with external entities that we share data feeds with. We'll, they'll they'll send us data or we'll send them data. Um, and go back and forth. And it, always, my preference always is, you know, start off talking to the manager. Give me your, give me your tech contact. Let, who, who's your guy on the team? Who's me on your team? Let me talk to him, him or her, right? That, that's, that's where I want to go. And that, that really is, is generally pretty effective. And that's really good advice to kind of sidestep sometimes if they want you to talk to some particular person who isn't really going to be that helpful to you or to them, really. Um, because where you can provide the most expertise is in the technical nitty gritty. Um, so just sort of politely asking for someone, you know, like you said, who's me right on your team. I think that's a really great way to make sure that the data that needs to be, you know, the information needs to be conveyed is conveyed appropriately. And everyone, like you said, expectations are set appropriately so that, that people know what is possible, what's not possible. And, and, and I think that's the biggest cause of, strife right is always that somebody is is setting expectations that are unreasonable and then that that gets the other party you know the company or whoever it is all upset about the outcome not being the way they want and it's like well had we just done some expectation setting in the beginning that was more appropriate we wouldn't we could have avoided this whole mess right um maybe we wouldn't have gotten them as a customer because it turns out that what they want is not what we can provide but we also would have avoided all of this awfulness, right? <laughs> um, and I think that that can go a long way. So even if you are a junior on the team, right, don't feel don't feel weird about potentially speaking up. And 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 I think the other advice you gave earlier about you know try and find what it is that this person's carrying a, a, a torch for, right? What what find the hill that this person's going to die on, right? The thing that they find super important. And and if they are asking something that's unreasonable 
put the terms of the positive and the negative in terms they will understand and relate it to their, if you can, relate it to their stake. And then, because if you, if, you if you hit them where, where they live, right, both positively and negatively, I think it becomes much easier to convince them of kind of the appropriate technical path to take. Um, and so that's just, I think, good advice to always, always look for that. What is the stake that, that they, that they've got? And then, and then give them the pro and the con kind of, if you can, within that context, and it will help set everyone's expectations so that, you know, hopefully you can guide people down the right path and they can end up in a good place. And even if you're a junior, it may feel like you don't have any ability to do that because, Who's going to listen to me, right? I've got I've got a, a boot camp under my belt and and a month worth of experience. No one cares about what I think, but but they do. They, they would hope they in theory they wouldn't have hired you if they didn't think that you that you didn't have something to bring to the table. So don't feel weird about bringing that stuff up. And I can definitely tell you that if you even if you are you know earlier in your career, if you want to advance in your career, one of the ways that you're going to get convinced companies and organizations and, and places to give you opportunity that you didn't have originally, it's to do those kinds of things where you, you point out things that will benefit the company and maybe even you, you help them make choices that they wouldn't have made because at the time they were looking for this very short-term gain, right? And you point out, well, it's maybe it is a short-term gain, but in the long run, it's a, it's a negative for us. We should probably go this way. It may not be as immediately helpful, but we're going to end up in a better place. That kind of stuff, if you can, especially if you can have it written down, you can sort of prove that like I've helped guide the company in smart ways, and I deserve more responsibility. I've, I've had in my career opportunities where I have ended up in that place where just sort of helping the company guide them, you know, make smart decisions. The people at the top realize, hey, this person like they're making, they're giving us good strategy, and we're doing. We're, we're doing better because of it. Um, so in particular, if you're a junior and you're trying to advance, I think that's something that, that you should more potentially more so than just writing good code, right? It's, it's that kind of stuff is, is, is managing that in a way where you can build a strategy um, for you and for the company and, and that'll get noticed. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering as, as you were talking, um, you know, have, have, I haven't ever had this experience, but I'm, 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 you know, I'm, my experience for jobs is more of sort of, um, big companies, long-term employment or whatever. You guys have had a lot more experience with sort of the young startups and stuff. I'm wondering, have you ever had the experience of working at a company where, for example, you go in with the idea that you're going to make the right decisions for the long-term health of the program and the product, the long-term health of the company, but the company's really focused on, Hey, it's a pump and dump, right? We want, we want, we want to just get an application out there. We're going to be the next Uber. Um, we want to, we want to have a big IPO and then we're all bailing. So nobody's, nobody's going to work here longer than two years. We don't care. Right. Have you ever had, have you ever had to totally re, re, you know, repoint yourself at, okay, I'm not in this for the long term. This is just, this is just quick and dirty. I, I haven't. Me either. Yeah. Neither. No, neither one of you. Huh? Interesting. The closest probably that I've come to is like, I've, I've worked at a company where they had a strategy they were in kind of a dying industry and they had a strategy for how to at least maintain their health. They obviously wanted to grow, but they were kind of getting, becoming a bigger player in an ever increasingly shrinking field, which is, you know, I mean, it's a, that's a, that's a spot you can, you can be in. Sure. That's not a bad thing. That's not going to last forever, but 
but it's a it's a so it is it it was kind of clear that they had sort of a like a timer on their on their ability to be viable um and with that in mind i was giving them some advice about things that maybe we could do to maximize that right in the time that we had and they were just like not interested in it and they wanted to rather than innovating their own product to make it so that it was the most compelling thing in a shrinking field and and head towards where things were going they wanted to keep doing it the exact same way that it had always been done and it's like well that's the reason why this industry is shrinking yeah, right, right? Yeah. like <laughs> so so in that case it it i kind of came to the conclusion that like you know the advice that i had was falling on deaf ears um and in that case i made my own personal choice to just be like all right well i'm done i'm <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, in, I want to be in a position like that. So if that's not a place, there's no place for me at this company to do that, then I'll just move on and find something that works better. It, it's certainly the case that if your advice isn't being heeded, then you, you wonder why you're, why you're staying, right? That's for sure. Right. That's true. That's yeah, true. Why are you paying me if I'm, <laughs> you're just, if I'm going to give you advice and every time you're just like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, all right. So as far as maybe, uh, do you have, do you have any advice for juniors who might? So this is it's it's advice time on. on okay, <laughs> awesome. Um, so let's say let's build a scenario where you're at work and you have you're you and you have the same experience you've you've got right now. Right, nothing is different. And you have some juniors who are coming to you, some junior programmers who are coming to you, and they need help with getting data in, getting data out, that kind of thing. Can you give them some advice on how to comport themselves in a scenario where they're 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 going to someone who's got maybe very niche, very deep knowledge in something. What are kind of the best, what would be the ideal way for them to come talk to you? You know, what would you want to see out of them? The the best kind of interaction that you could have with like a junior developer. Um, maybe that would be helpful because then hopefully they could kind of mold their strategy to that. Yeah. Those, you know, that, that that's tough. And, and we end up in a situation, I mean, I'm, I'm, as we've talked, I'm obviously a little bit older and have gray hair. I've been on the program a long time. So there's some amount of, and, and I sit in a, in a sort of an isolated cube. I'm really the only guy that does this stuff. So there's some sort of, some amount of like, oh, I got to go talk to the DBAs. We're going uh, to see the yeah. wizard. Yeah, yeah. Climb the map. <laughs> Oracle is kind of a, a great name for that technology, right? Because it, it yeah. sounds like you're climbing the mountain to talk to the person who's <laughs> like almost next to the gods and has access to this inscrutable story. Yeah, them. yeah. And, it, and it, sometimes it can, as the senior, it can kind of feel that way a little bit, which is, of course, it makes me squirm a little bit because I, I certainly don't see myself that way. Um, and, and I've actually, you know, had a situation where people come in and, and they're calling me Mr. Golke and they're, and they're, oh, I know you're really busy and whatever. And it, it, and the, a lot of that is, you know, if I'm really busy, you standing here spending two minutes telling me how busy I am is not, is not effectively using my time, right? <laughs> just get to the friggin' point. Right. Um, uh, but I, you know, I just find, um, just in general, just like come in, hey, you know, the first thing I think is be sensitive about the time. So if you if you don't need it right away, shoot an email. Hey, I need to talk to you. I have this. Can it lay out a little bit of the problem in the email so I can be thinking about it or I can do a little bit of research or whatever? I need I need a half an hour of your time. I need an hour of your time. When's a good time? Just showing up in somebody's cube is very interrupting, right? So I might I might not be busy. It might be fine or I might be just elbow deep in something you just really don't know so I think the be sensitive to sort of the time of everybody else who's working and not just solving your own 
problem immediately. It's nice. I think it's nice in general. One of the advices, um, one of the pieces of advice I give, um, I give my staff is always try to have two or three things you're working on because it's hard. It's hard to make progress on one thing if you're only doing one thing. You're gonna have you're gonna have little mini roadblocks. Whether you're gonna get derailed or you're gonna get on pause or sometimes it's just nice to take a break about from thinking about it. And just think about something else. So always have try to have a couple things you're working on. So if you if you shoot, you know, if somebody shoots me an email and says, "Hey, when you can can you get together?" and I write back and say, "Hey, this afternoon at two, I'm free. Let's do it then." And it's only ten in the morning. You need something to do between ten. You and, can't. Yeah, between yeah. between ten and two, right? So so have a, have a short stack of have a short list of things you're working on that you can kind of switch back and forth between. It's definitely good advice. Be kind of sensitive to the time. I mean, I'm supporting, you know actively probably 20 programmers at any given time from the staff. So kind of be, you know, you're, and you're doing one thing, right? So kind of be sensitive to, Hey, you know, I need to get a little slice of his time, but he's, you know, every time I go by, he's got six people in his cube waiting to talk to him. Right. So kind of have a sense of that. And then, you know, it's really, I mean, a lot of times people will come in and they'll start to, Oh, you know, I know you're real busy and I, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't yada, yada, yada. And I'll be like, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you explain to me what you want? And then when you're done, I'll tell you no. I'll tell you why. You, I'll tell you why you can't have it. I mean, it, because it just kind of breaks the ice a little bit. It's like you know, we'll work it out. I mean, you need to. You have data. You need a store. I have a database. We'll, we'll find some. We'll find some happy path between it. Makes sense. Um, but it. But it. It. It can be. It can be challenging to kind of get to the point and get get on with what you need. So just. It's okay to be direct, particularly I think if you're. We've kind of touched on this in a couple different ways. Um, but when you're talking to other technical people, you know, even if they're senior members of the team, it's okay to be, it's okay to be direct. Um, and if I'm joking around and I'm, I tell a story and you want to tell a story, that's fine. But if I'm just answering your questions and we're just banging this code out, then take the hint. Just right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you think it would be more trouble than it would be worth to, um, to have some kind of calendar set up so that you could just let people know, Hey, I do my deepest work from nine to 1130. So just don't even send me an email in the morning, but then I have office hours or something like it uh, from two to three. So if you come by then, you don't have to say, gee, I know you're really busy because I've already said that's the time that you can come by and do this. Or is your schedule just so chaotic that that wouldn't help out at all? Uh, I, I think I think that would be that would work, actually. It's not something I currently do, um, but it, it, it would actually would be helpful, I think, actually, um, to to maybe set aside some window of time in the day where you could, where you could answer those kinds of questions. I do, I do have a fairly chaotic day, some days, Yeah. You know, some days I, I've had, you know, I, I come home and tell Ben's mom, she's like, how was work? I'm like, didn't talk to anybody all day. Sat, sat at my desk, cranked out a bunch of stuff, had my headphones on. It was awesome. And then, you know, other day she's like, how was it? And I was like, somebody came to get me at eight 30. I never went back to my desk. You know, I, I was I finished their problem at nine thirty, and when I was walking back, somebody else grabbed me, and somebody else grabbed me, and you know, I just I never saw the desk the rest of the day. So you just don't know. I just don't know what the days are going to be like. Um, but but I've I've tried to even people that I work with regularly, even people that sit literally right to my left or right to my right, um, I'll often just sort of look over my shoulder and be like, hey, when you get a minute, I have some questions for you instead of just interrupting them like can you answer my questions now right so if you give if you give people just a little bit i think you can get a lot more um you can get a lot more from them i think it's a growing problem in the workplace so people have developed these new generations of communication tools and i think 
Slack is probably the king of the hill right now. And for the first couple of years that it was out, it was just a godsend because you could talk to everybody all the time. And in the past year or so, it's come to be viewed as almost more trouble than it's worth because people can get to you all the time. And the, the notifications and the little red dot that pops up on your screen is this just this little kind of like poke in the shoulder while you're trying to get work done. Yeah, I mean, it's really like it's really like very annoying email to me. I mean, I, I know that probably makes me sound like the old guy. But, no, you're ahead of the curve at this point, if you have that feeling. But it, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, it, Mary, um, Ben's sister, Amy, just, uh, we, we worked together. She's, she's just recently gotten a job where I work and we work together. And, and she's just recently showed me, we commute now. Um, I can put my phone on mute and silence all of the noise that it makes, which, of course, I knew that what the mute button was for, but I never really lived with the phone on mute for days at a time. And I, I, it's awesome. I don't, know, I don't know how I never discovered this before. But, you know, you have to dampen your, your interruptions or for people that spend some amount of time focusing and thinking, I, I need to dampen the sort of the rest of the stimulus going on in the world around me. To some extent, yeah. And if you're if you're expected to support eighty people, and all of them kind of feel the freedom to just go over to your desk at any time of day, I can't imagine how you get anything done on your own. Yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, the, you know, the staff is about that size. At any given time, there's probably between ten and twenty people actually actively doing database work. And and for the most part, you know, they they, they know what they're doing. They have, they have a plan. They, I'm not seeing everybody on it every single okay. day. But you know, we support you know fielding events. We support systems that we have that are out in the field that are running and you know so there's it's it's we we are actually are an agile um team but they only actually schedule me 50 percent um of my time is scheduled in agile the rest of the 50 percent is it's kind of at my discretion because of all the interruptions i think we're probably out of ideas at this point <laughs> this was fun it, it's been you know what I, I will take a minute, um, if we can, if we can afford just a few Absolutely. minutes, to say that that uh, I have listened to every episode. Um, it's fun in the car, of course. You know, hearing Ben's voice, sure, being his dad, sure. and, it, and it was I got a big chuckle out of hearing. You know, well, my dad has a story, uh-huh. and Ben would tell this tell the story. I got a big chuckle out of those, and it was. I think you guys do an awesome job of of um, playing back and forth, picking up each other. Um, you know, um, not interrupting each other, not talking over each other. Really, the the and the technically, I think the podcast is awesome. And and from a content point of view, I, I so wish that I had had this as a resource when I was a young developer because there's just so many things happening in your world, and you just don't have any yardstick to measure them against. You just like, is this normal? Is this normal? <laughs> yeah. And you just run yeah. around all day. Is this normal? And and you guys have just done such an awesome job of of sort of laying out some very specific stuff and saying, hey, if this is happening to you, this is normal. This happened to us. It, ha- it happens to almost everybody. It's it's fine. Here's some advice on how best to manage it or how to ride it out. But um, I, I just, I just, I mean, every this this should really be required listening for everybody that gets a degree. Hey, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. <laughs> it really should be. It, it, it It's really, I've, I tried to get, um, you know, with our with with uh, Ben's sister Amy, just getting it's her second career job out of school, and I tried to get her to listen to it, and she, of course, well, know, with her brother on it, no, that's not Yeah, she wasn't all about it, but um, but I I literally would listen to the podcast 
and then we would ride back and forth to work and we'd be talking about work and I would use things that you guys said and oh I would tell gosh. her. She doesn't know. Don't tell her. <laughs> she well, she'll she doesn't never know. know. She's not going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, um, just really an invaluable resource, I, I think. And I, and I hope, uh, and I hope, I hope enough, I hope the people that, that can benefit from it really get to hear it and really enjoy it. Well, two things. One, one great to hear that, that, I mean, this is obviously from one biased data point, but nonetheless, it's great to hear that the things that we're doing are, are useful. And two, Brian, I think we should have a, uh, an adulation section in every single podcast where somebody just <laughs> sings our praises for two minutes. Sure, That's great. Sure. And a, a third point, I'm really glad to hear all that here on the podcast, and I hope it's been written and submitted as a review somewhere. <laughs> uh, I, if you look on iTunes, you'll see me. Uh, right. I have a review on iTunes. All right. And Ben, that leads into a question for you, which is if people would like to know more about the podcast or give us feedback about the podcast, where can they go? What can they do? Of course. So everything you need to know about us is at mvc.fm. That's our website where you can find uh, show notes to everything we talk about on every episode. You can listen right on the page to any episode. And most importantly, you can find out how to subscribe. We're available basically wherever fine podcasts are sold. We're on iTunes. Um, and so if you do use iTunes for your podcast needs, we would appreciate it if you go give us a, um, a review or a rating. That really helps us out. And if you want to send us feedback or ask questions, suggest new topics for the show, we are on Twitter at MVC Podcast. Well, thanks very much for coming by, Joe, and uh, come back again anytime. Awesome. It was my pleasure, guys. See you next time. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we, we've been on a, a bi-weekly schedule. No, that's not, is that right? I can Twice a month, Twice whichever a month. one that is. Fort, fortnightly. We're on a fortnightly fortnight schedule. <laughs> um, so...